Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of What Are You Talking About? Presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. My name is Bob. As always, I'm hanging out, talking sports with my older brother, Chris. Christopher, what's going on, man? Not much. I am not a Blair Walsh fan right now. Do you cost you some games? He cost me my fantasy matchup with that missed field goal. Not very cool. Not very cool, man. No, it's never good to lose a fantasy game on a on a kicker. I've won some Monday night fantasy games on a kicker. Nick Novak once scored me 19 points to win on Monday night football, and I thought Blair Walsh, he only needed to get me like seven, and then he missed that first field goal, and he only ended up getting one other. So definitely was a stinger. But, hey, there's a lot of fantasy football left. There's a lot of football left, so. I will survive. Yeah, I went into that last Monday night game. Uh, all my guys had played, and I had a 24-point cushion, and the other person had Carlos Hyde, and I went to bed thinking that I had that game locked. <laughs> <laughs> turns Dang, out he, that's, turns that's out he was worse. the highest-scoring running back of the week. So, Man, hey, we're about to talk about this in a bit, but that Monday night game, Sam Fran, rumors of their demise may be a little premature, but we'll get to that in a bit. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so we've been talking football for about a month and a half now. We've been really excited about doing a lot of previews. We felt it would be unfair to do all these previews and then not actually talk about some results. So that's going to be the bulk of the content of this episode. But before we dive back into football, uh, Chris, there's there's probably a bigger event that happened this weekend at the U.S. Open. What Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I mean, unless you guys are living under a rock, I mean, Serena Williams was playing for the Grand Slam. And note that I said the Grand Slam and not the calendar Grand Slam. The Grand Slam does not need a qualification. Everyone knows what it is. She was trying to win all four majors in the same year, the first time it has it would have been done since 1988, since Steffi Graf did it. She actually won a Golden Slam, also winning the Olympic medal, gold medal that year, so... Obviously, it's a huge achievement in tennis, and Serena Williams has been by far the most dominant player in women's tennis for the last few years. She actually has won, had won four straight Grand Slams leading into this, completing what people brand a Serena Slam. That's when you win four in a row, but it's not in the same year. So she had won the four in a row, but she was trying to do something very special at this tournament. And the draw had opened up for her. I mean, all the seeded players had lost. The number two player, Simona Help, had just been upset in the other semifinals. So she pretty much had to beat two players who had no real pedigree. They had never been in a Grand Slam final before. You don't want to say they had no business being there, but but in all honesty, I mean, they, they were not expected to go that far. The lady who won it was ranked seated 26th, so obviously the draw had opened up. And Serena Williams, after winning the first set 6-2 to two over Roberta Vinci, lost the match 6-4, 6-4. In what, I don't like to use the word greatest of all time, because I think that there's so much out there that it's, Hard to say one event is the greatest of all time, but I would be hard-pressed to find a bigger upset than what happened in the U.S. Open a few weeks ago. I mean, my goodness, Serena Williams losing to an unseeded player in the semifinals when she was two matches away from completing something epic has got to be one of the 
biggest upsets in sports and arguably one of the biggest upsets in the history of women's tennis, maybe even the biggest. Yeah, definitely. I think it has to be considered that uh, considering the momentum that she was riding, considering her top opposition got knocked out, she was all but anointed this this final the fourth piece of the grand slam that not only would have given her the grand slam, but it would also would have tied her for first all time in grand slam wins with 22 at uh, tying Steffi Graf. So this was supposed to be the ascendant moment to, to cap her career and for it to end not only in the semifinals, but for it to end in the semifinals against just a, a very unknown, unfavored opponent. I, it has to be uh, one of the biggest upsets we've seen in a long time for sure. Yeah, and, and I believe afterwards in her press conference, she said she'll ask any questions, just don't ask me how angry I am or how mad I am or if I'm mad. And I think that right there tells you how disappointed at least she was to lose that match. And certainly that's going to be a loss that stays with her no matter what she says. Uh, she certainly, no matter how, how publicly she wanted to talk about it, she certainly knew what the stakes were. She knew what the draw was. She knew how dominant she was. She knew that knows that uh, she let a major moment slip away. But I don't think that this should define her. I mean, she's still got 21 Grand Slams. She's probably going to catch Steffi Graf sometime next year. And again, just for those of you who aren't tennis fans, Steffi Graf holds the open era record. There is another lady who has 24, but Steffi Graf's record is largely recognized as the record because... Um, professional tennis players were not allowed to play in the Grand Slams uh, for, for a long time. I believe it was 19, in the 1960s when they opened that up to everyone. So, but again, she's going to get that. She's going, she has another, she, again, next year she could very well win all four slams. I mean, the, the woman is that dominant and she has had a fantastic career. I don't think that this is going to change anything, but it certainly was a huge upset. Yeah, definitely a huge upset. I yeah, I'm not, I'm not doubting her the next time she steps on the court. She's uh, by far the best women's player. Uh, but we also had a really good, entertaining uh, men's final as well. Djokovic uh, bested Federer in four sets, I believe. Uh, what were your thoughts on that match? It was four sets, and Roger Federer is getting a taste of his own medicine that he dished out the last decade because the last couple times he's met Djokovic in the final, he just has not been able to solve him. Djokovic is clearly the superior player now. There was a time in like the end of the 2000s, early, you know, like end of 2009 to 2011, where the two were kind of both, Djokovic was reaching his peak and Federer was still kind of in his peak coming down, where they had some really good competitions and Federer maybe got a little bit better than him. But right now, this is this is Djokovic time. I mean, this guy is by far the best player in the men's side. And people realize this, we are three wins away combined from witnessing both a men's Grand Slam winner and a women's Grand Slam winner because Djokovic lost in the finals of the French Open to Stan Wawrinka in a match that a lot of people thought he'd win after he beat Nadal in the quarterfinals. So that was kind of a surprise. He still hasn't won a French Open yet, even though he's a fantastic clay court player, probably the second best clay court player of the last five years behind Nadal. So I think he will get the French Open eventually, and I'd pick him to win it next year, especially if Nadal's still a little dinged up. But Djokovic had a phenomenal season this year as well. We are in his era. He's number one. He just got his 10th Grand Slam. He's entering the conversation for greatest of all time. Still has enough time to catch Federer 17. I know that's it's hard to believe, but he 
actually could run that down if he had, if he puts together another year like he had this year and in 2011 when he also won all three sla- or three out of four slams. So do you uh, think that is a likely possibility that he's going to catch Federer, win seven more? Right now, I think it's a possibility. I wouldn't say it's a likely possibility. Seven slams is nothing to scoff at. That's not. I, I wouldn't just pencil that in for anyone. I mean, Nadal looked like he was going to do it, and now he's banged up. I mean, it, it it can go as fast like that. You know, I mean, when it when you fall apart, you can fall apart, and all it takes is one injury. So, so being seven slams away, I wouldn't say it's likely, but I certainly think he has a shot. Yeah, just kind of looking at when these ascendant players win all their slams, Jokovic has about two years, maybe three more years of being on top, being the most dominant. So he'd have to win a high volume of the Grand Slams. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a hard task for sure, but uh, he's looking really good right now, definitely. And he's capable of it too. I mean, the one last thing I'll say about this is the clay court – you can play a little longer. Nadal dominated Clay for a very long time. It's a little more forgiving. With Nadal on his way out and all the injuries he might be, I think Djokovic could, even though he hasn't won the French yet, slew together some French Opens over the next few years, maybe even later in his career, when he maybe is exiting his peak. So I think he's definitely talented enough to play at this level for at least two more years, maybe three. And then maybe in the waning days of his career, he adds on one more. So certainly, I mean, he certainly could chase him down. But but to say that it's likely, uh, seven slams is, is a lot for anyone. So I'm not just going to pencil anything in for that. All right. You want to talk some football now? Sure, man. Let's get back to football. Yeah, it's been 10 minutes into the podcast. We have to talk about football now. <laughs> Um, I, I think it's in our contract. Yeah. I mean, I could, honestly, I could talk about just about every game that was played over the weekend, but we wanted to at least go in the depth of a couple. So I'm going to pick a game, and Chris, you're going to pick another NFL game to talk about in depth, and we're going to cover a couple ones quickly later on. Um, the game that I thought was the most exciting one uh, was Seattle at St. Louis. This is one of the games that we picked last week. Uh, I think we both got that wrong, right? We both got that wrong, yes. Yeah. Uh, ended in overtime, 34-31. to 31. This game was ridiculous. Well, my first reaction uh, is the same reaction I always have when I watch a Seahawks game, and, and that is Marshawn Lynch is just on another level. Uh, he breaks so many tackles at the line of scrimmage. It, it's crazy. Um, but this game was, was ridiculous. Uh, St. Louis went up 24-13 late in the third quarter, and then... Seattle goes on to score two touchdowns, a two-point conversion, and a field goal to go up 31-24 to in the last few minutes. And then Nick Foles just leads the Rams right down the field and scores a, a late, late touchdown to tie at 31-31. Ironically, the game ended after uh, St. Louis kicked a field goal uh, in overtime. The, the Seahawks were driving down. They went to a fourth and one. They were in a shotgun formation trying to convert a fourth down play needed one yard, and they did a read option to Marshawn Lynch. The play that everybody was screaming for in the Super Bowl was the play that ended up losing the game for them. And this one, Aaron Donald ate Marshawn Lynch up in the in in the backfield. Um, this game was crazy. There were two punt returns for touchdowns. Tavon Austin also ran a, a, a ball in. He was a wide receiver normally. Um, Chris, did you get a chance to watch this game? I did actually because I was at my parents' house and they have DirecTV and in week one 
you get Sunday ticket for free. So we were flipping around a little bit. So now, if you get to watch a good portion of this game. So I'm currently talking to Chris Sweeney with DirecTV. Me? Yes. You're not you're with not Direct. creepy Chris Sweeney without DirecTV. <laughs> you're right, you're right, you're right. You're talking to the cool Chris Sweeney. I don't know who the uh, other guy would be without this <laughs> cable or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> You threw me off guard there, man. That's that's kind of crazy. But that Sorry. was a good reference. <laughs> yeah. I'm not peaked in high school, Chris Sweeney. Okay. <laughs> At least I don't think I am. Anyway, back to the back to the game. I did get to watch it. I watched especially turned over in overtime when I saw it went over in overtime. And first off, I want to say I agree with Pete Carroll attempting the onside kick to start off overtime because St. Louis would have had to score a touchdown to end the game. Yes, you put them in field goal range, but let's just be realistic here. You're in overtime. On your next possession, you're playing to win the game anyway. Who cares? Try to get a quick strike. Try to get an early lead and possess the ball and you know take advantage of that. I, I had no problem with the onside kick call. I don't think it was executed very well because the kicker, Hashuka, didn't kick it into the ground. He kicked it up and allowed the team to kill off their catch. So probably should have worked on that a little bit. Let's get to the infamous play, the fourth and one call. I agree with the call. Run the ball to Marshawn Lynch. I, I disagree running the ball out of the shotgun three yards off the line of scrimmage. Why yeah. do teams run the ball out of the shotgun when they're in goal situations, in short yard situations, in whatever situations? Line up under center, call a quarterback sneak, or a, a power run play. Yeah, there's New no... Oh, I'm sorry. There's no power running back in the league that wouldn't want a lead blocker to get one yard. I, it's that, That's basic football right there. To get one yard, get a fullback in there, get two tight ends in there, and, and, and overpower the defensive line. Right. And I understand uh, St. Louis has an excellent front seven, one of the best defensive lines in the game, if not the best. But realistically speaking here, just go under center, man. Pound the ball. Don't get cued out of the shotgun. I don't understand why it's advantageous to line up three yards off the line of scrimmage when everyone knows you're going to hand the ball to Marshawn Lynch and give the defense extra time to penetrate because he has to run three extra yards to get to the line of scrimmage. I don't understand that. I don't understand that. Without a lead blocker, as you mentioned. The New England Patriots' favorite play in short goal situations, second and short, third and short, fourth and short, anything in short, Tom Brady quarterback sneak. They've run it dozens upon dozens of times in the years that I've been following them. Everyone knows it's coming. No one can stop it. Why? Because it's such an effective play to get one yard. Your quarterback's under center. He's at the line of scrimmage. He just takes the ball and dives forward. Gets behind the blocker, dives forward. It's an easy play to get one yard. Call that play every time, and you're probably going to get, you're probably going to convert. Yeah, man, Aaron Donald is the real deal, man. That that defensive line had about, I think, at least six sacks in regular in regular time. I don't know if they got one in overtime, but Aaron Donald was just in the backfield all day long. It was he's really fun to watch. Aaron Donald is a beast, and I am furious that the Browns didn't draft him because they could have. No, I think 12 teams could have drafted him, and they all should have drafted him. But he's undersized, he's small, and for whatever reason, teams don't take that in the top 10. Well, they're they're paying the price, I guess, because yeah. he's going he's gonna to terrorize this league for a long time unless he has some 
torn ACL or something like that. Yeah. So what is this uh this win for the Rams? I know you picked them to win the wild card, if I'm correct. Does that does this reaffirm your your pick? Are you concerned about the Seahawks? I'm a little concerned about the Seahawks, but not really. They've proven it before. They've lost to St. Louis before. And St. Louis has played Seattle tough before. So I don't think this is as shocking of a victory as people are making out to believe. I think the Rams need to prove that they can do it for 16 games and not just get up and beat the Seahawks. So I'm not about to shift the burden of proof away from St. Louis. Seattle has been to two straight Super Bowls. They've won one. They've almost won another. They certainly have earned the benefit of recovering from one loss. Now, when your next opponent is Green Bay, obviously you should be a little worried. But at the same time, I'm not about to just say, oh yeah, St. Louis is here. Forget what Seattle's done the last two years. I think St. Louis still has to prove that they can do it for a whole season instead of just getting up for Seattle. But certainly they're on the right track with that defensive front seven. And Nick Foles played very well against Seattle. He didn't throw any interceptions. He did fumble twice, though. But I think now that they have a quarterback that they can count on, quarterback who has shown that he can be very accurate and not cost you games, I think that St. Louis has a lot to be excited about. Yeah, I think it. it I gained confidence in the Rams. If they had won this game in Seattle, I would have been uh, a lot very, very concerned about Seattle. But to go on the road, to give up this game the way they did, I, I'm not really concerned about it. The only thing that does give me pause is the Seattle Seahawks offensive line. And if they continue to play as poorly, that's a big concern. Hopefully it was just due to the part that, like we said, that St. Louis Rams front seven and their defensive line rotation is one of the best in the league. And they they gave the Seahawks lots of trouble. But if that O-line problem persists, I think Russell Wilson's going to be in for a long year. I think Marshawn Lynch might be in for a little bit of regression. But one game into the week or one week into the season, I am not too concerned about them. I'm still picking them to do good things this year. Now, Cam Chancellor is a situation we got to watch out too. I mean, he's obviously a big part of that defense. Certainly, certainly so. All right. Well, in case you missed it, Sunday Night Football had a very entertaining game on. Now, I'll be the first to admit, I went to bed thinking that the Giants had this thing won. I thought that they had a lead, they were going to protect it, everything was going to be fine. But as we talked about last week, when the Giants play the Cowboys, weird stuff happens. Like, it's never a normal game. Someone always finds a way to lose in... Cleveland Browns like fashion like they just implode and do something really dumb and the New York Giants did that this time not a lot of time left in goal could have scored they chose not to they chose to run the clock dry or close to dry kick a field goal and only go up by six and then Tony Romo like three passes later, has them on the 20-yard line and then throws a touchdown. Reinforces my strategy of forget leaving time on the clock, score all the time. I hate when people say, oh, they left too much time on the clock. I'm like, yeah, but they also just scored a touchdown. (laughs) I would take that over time any day. Reinforces that theory of mine. But, Bob, what did you think of this whole Rashard Jennings being told not to score the touchdown? I think it's stupid uh, to 
if you scored the touchdown, you would have gone up 10 points, right? Right. They would have gone up 10 points with, I mean, it depends on what down he scores it on, but anywhere from 30 seconds to, I think, a minute 30 left or something like that. Yeah, well, Josh Brown kicked that field goal at, uh, the time clock says a minute 34. So within two minutes, uh, two scores within two minutes, that, mean, that means onside kick, that means getting a drive for a touchdown and then getting a late field goal to tie it. Uh, why why is that even in the realm of discussion that you're going to just run the clock down and kick a field goal not trying to score the touchdown i understand if you can't score the touchdown kicking the field goal but i i do not know what they were doing i'm extremely mad because i'm the only person out of how many people <laughs> in our league that picked the cowboys to win i was the only one that picked the giants to win I thought they had it in the bag, even though the Giants offense was terrible all night. The Cowboys had it shut down all night. The the, the Cowboys absolutely did not want to win this game until about eight minutes less than I think they scored their first touchdown with five minutes to go. So they did not want to win this game for three and a half quarters. <laughs> they were giving the Giants every every opportunity and chance to win this game you know within the last minute of the second quarter a fumble return for a touchdown by the Giants another fumble they were able to kick a field goal they weren't able to do anything with that ball in a a short field to to potentially get another touchdown I man I I am very mad at Tom Coughlin if that's true that the coaches told Jennings not to punch it in stupid (laughs) no it is true jennings jennings said he was told not to score and eli manning's corroborated it so it's definitely true they told him not to score well there better be a fall galley or something like i don't know (laughs) but think about this though i mean tom coughlin has been on the was on the hot seat last year they gave him a pass because they hired the new offensive coordinator installed a new system this year it was supposed to come together this is probably the worst way to start off the year. Prime time against Dallas, and you have this major coaching gaffe that cost you a game. I mean, Tom Coughlin has got to be just, A, very angry, but B, I mean, his seat just got a little bit warmer. I mean, certainly, I think I, the patience in New York is running thin on him. Even with a guy with two Super Bowl rings, they have been very disappointing the last four seasons. Oh, certainly. Um, for whatever reason, Tom Coughlin, I guess the Super Bowl buys you four years. So this is this is it, I think. I mean, if, if they are in for anything less than eight and eight, I think you just have to move on because the talent is there on offense. Uh, I don't know why Eli Manning was only able to get 193 yards passing the whole game. They did not eclipse 100 yards combined over rushing. Um, it, was, it was just a very disappointing offensive showing for them. On the flip side, Dallas, I thought they moved the ball very well rushing it. Uh, Tony Romo is great. I, he's he continues to be underrated, I think, in, in terms of what he does for the for the Cowboys. Um, I don't know if if you told the Cowboys, would you rather beat the Giants week one and lose Des Bryant for Twelve weeks, or would you rather lose to the Giants and have Des Bryant for the for the remainder of the season? Uh, I don't know if the Cowboys would take that win, even though I'm sure they would never deny that. 
Des Bryant going down for the Cowboys is a big pause for concern for me, though. Huge loss for the Cowboys. It might not be 12 weeks. It's right now six to eight weeks, but certainly could be 12 weeks. So um, obviously a big concern for a lot of fantasy football players out there and a huge concern for the Dallas Cowboys. This is the third really huge wide receiver that's gone down. I mean, you add uh, in Jordy Nelson. And, I mean, come on, man. Like, everyone is dropping like flies this year. So, yeah, certainly, I, I think the Cowboys would never publicly admit it, but I certainly think that they'd rather have Des Bryant healthy than one game in the bag. But it certainly feels a little bit better to be 1-0 and after losing your big star than to be 0-1. Getting back to Tony Romo, Tony Romo is the most underrated quarterback in the NFL. He gets so much trash thrown his way, but if you every time he gets hurt on Dallas... Those years where he would miss a few games in the middle of the year, Dallas looks awful every time he gets hurt. Without Tony Romo, this team is a 12-loss team, bottom line. Maybe not now that their offensive line is revamped and they can run the ball a little bit, but prior to 2014, without Tony Romo, that's a 12-loss team. No doubt in my mind. Tony Romo is one of the most valuable players to his team in the NFL, and he's, he's a great quarterback. He is a great quarterback, even though he doesn't have the success in the playoffs. I mean, he's not as he isn't putting up Peyton Manning numbers, but it's kind of like when Peyton Manning would be the sort of regular season champion and then just always fold in the playoffs. That's kind of like what Tony Romo is right now. I mean, he's always having big regular seasons, but he just doesn't get it done in the playoffs for whatever reason. I don't think that's a totally fair, and I'm not saying he's belongs in the conversation with Manning and Brady and them, but he's certainly squarely on that second tier and you certainly can win a Super Bowl with Tony Romo as your quarterback and I think he does get a bad rap for and some unfair blame thrown his way because I think he's played excellent in the last 10 years of his career he gets he gets a a unfair uh share of criticism I mean that part of that comes with playing for Dallas but I think the last two years and it looks like this year he's been one of the best quarterbacks in the league ever since people thought that he was done with his back issues uh he's come back with the storm and has uh i think established himself as one of the best in the, in the league so with tony romo with that offensive line and that run game still looking really good i think the cowboys will be okay without des but it it's a chink it, it it's a weakness for sure and going into Philadelphia week two, uh that's that's a definite concern going forward. Well speaking of the Eagles, because they also played on Monday night, they didn't look very impressive against the Falcons. No, uh especially DeMarco Murray, the the big signing well, I don't know, one of the big signings by Chip Kelly in the off season eight carries for nine yards and a touchdown. Wow. <laughs> That's, that is not good at yeah. all. Um, it, I think it was a tale of two halves, really. They played a lot better in that second half, but the first half, to to go a whole half under this Chip Kelly offensive guru system and to only put up three points, uh, it, was, it was definitely a, a disappointment. Sam Bradford didn't look that good either. He looked shaky, turned the ball over. I was not sold on the Eagles this year. I don't think that it's, you know, it's one game. Certainly it's on the road. Atlanta's a better team than their record has been the last couple of years. That was an underrated job or an underrated job. So I certainly think that Atlanta 
is capable of doing very good things if they can come together. But, man, I mean, if you're the Eagles, you go on the road, you play sort of discombobulated, not a good start to the season. No, definitely not, especially with all the all the focus on them, all the intrigue on, on what on the offseason that they had for them to come out like that and for some of those key players to let uh, everyone down like that. It, w- it was not a good showing. On the flip side, Julio Jones is the real deal, man. 141 yards, two touchdowns, some really good catches, nine receptions. Uh, with a guy like that, uh, it, he can he can win a game for you, and I think he certainly is the reason that the Falcons went up big in the first half and the way they were able to coast and kind of hold back the Eagles in the second half. Yeah, Matt Ryan is another underrated quarterback. I think that he is a fine passer and someone that is certainly capable of winning a Super Bowl. Again, you know, not one of the four, the big four, but squarely on that second tier and definitely has all the talent to get to that next level if he can, you know, sort of get those championships. That's what separates the the truly great ones from the, uh, you know, strong ones is those championships. It's not always fair, but Matt Ryan, I certainly think, has the talent to lead a team very far. Another team that got off to a very slow start on the road were the Indianapolis Colts, who, by the way, uh, yours truly picked the Bills in that little pick you referenced earlier. Let's just get it out of the way, man, Bob. You had a brutal week in that pick Six and 12. Oh, no, excuse me, six and 10. Yeah, I don't. That's not. Good. I don't know where what went wrong, but a lot of things went Everything. wrong. Everything. <laughs> uh, not good, man. Not good. But um, Bills, that defense is scary, and the Colts, I think, showed why I was hesitant to anoint them the favorites in the AFC. I don't know why people went that far. They still have a lot of offensive line problems. They got problems in the trenches. I still think that that's the reason they can't run the ball very well. Their defense is almost non-existent they did nothing to address either of those two glaring deficiencies and i think they're in for another okay they'll beat up on a weak division get to the playoffs maybe win a wild card game but when they get to the big boy rounds and they face a team like new england or maybe even baltimore pittsburgh or denver they're just going to get the ball run down their throats and won't be able to stop it yeah definitely um i Running running the ball is a mindset that you have to be committed to and you have to have patience. Um, only giving eight carries to Frank Gore isn't going to establish your run game. And I know that they went down 17-0 at the end of the half, but you, you have to go back to it. You have to commit to it. Andrew Luck can't throw the ball 59 times a game every game and expect to win, especially late in the season. Uh, he threw 49. At, he had a 49 attempts last, last week. Uh, it, that's just not a way to win. You you signed Frank Gore for a reason. You gave up that first round draft pick two years ago for Trent Richardson for a reason. You need a running back. And again, this year is no different than the last two years. They don't have, they have yet to establish a running game. I'm not going to pronounce Frank Gore dead right now, but it was not a good start for him. No, Frank Gore certainly isn't dead. I agree with you. You got to feed the beast in order to get him revved up and everything the Colts just they're Andrew Luck and with Andrew Luck they're a playoff team but they need more around him to go to the Super Bowl yes absolutely and with T.Y. Hilton already hurt it it could go away quickly for them it it really could they are built on a very shaky foundation so does that mean 
It's Mariota time. Titans, after what they did to the Bucks, they're going <laughs> to win that division? Now, if they did it to just about any other team, <laughs> I would say yes, absolutely. But uh, it's set up perfectly for both these teams, really, to play each other. We're talking about the Titans at the Bucks, uh, the two teams that finished the worst last year. So these are two really bad teams, not known for their defense. That's a really good way to start your career if you're Jameis Winston or Marcus Mariota. Started really well for Marcus Mariota. A couple passes in, he already had a long touchdown. Not so good for Winston. First pass of his career, pick six, and it didn't really get that much better. Um, kudos for Guess the- which one's my backup quarterback on my fantasy team. Uh, you have Winston? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Thing, I mean, it'll get better. Like, no, yeah, yeah. You know, it's one Win- game. Winston was the norm. Mariota was the exception. I think. Right. That, and I, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. And, and look, it's you're, like you said, it's one game, and it's the two teams that were picking one and two in the draft. So let's just be realistic here. It's not like they beat the Seahawks or something like that. Yeah, definitely not. And it's not like they beat a team that had any identity on defense. Uh, the Bucks don't. I can't really think of anybody that's that talented on defense except for that defensive tackle there um the titans had a really good game plan for Mariota. he did not attempt a single pass longer than 20 yards downfield that's how you ease a quarterback into the system it helps when it clicks so quickly when the bucks break a lot of tackles blow a lot of tackles blow a lot of coverages uh and and makes it easy for the receivers to get a lot of yards after the catch but it was a great game plan for them and a great way to start your career for sure. And not having Mike Williams for Tampa, obviously a big loss there. Another wide receiver. My goodness, man, what is going on with wide receivers this year? I don't know. So you're saying that if the Titans come into Cleveland this week and win, you're sold on them. Yes, I, I, I would be because, uh, as bad as Cleveland looked week one, they still have a lot more talent on defense than they than the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And they're a lot more sound uh, at all three positions on the line, linebackers and secondary. If Mariota looks as good as he did against them, then I'm totally sold and I'm going to be trying to trade for him in a couple of fantasy leagues. Cause- nice. Quick thought. We talked about the Browns. We were very pessimistic about the Browns on our bonus Clee Talk podcast. Bob, you can't be any more optimistic after that performance. No, no. <laughs> I mean, we I both. Mean, <laughs> typical Cleveland, it loses its quarterback on the first drive. Didn't even make it out of the first drive. Yeah, and such a classic weight. I mean, he was literally inches away from running that ball into the end zone, and then he just gets decimated by two Jets defenders. Um yeah, that was very sad. For a moment, Johnny came in, and you and the way he played for those few plays, you're like, this is actually going to be a blessing in disguise. But then the wheels fell off in the second half. Um, I think in the long term, it, it will work out for them. I, I mean, we talked about it. Johnny has more potential than Josh McCowan, so why not get that train rolling as quick as possible? Yeah, I agree, especially on the easy part of your schedule. And I, I also think that Johnny didn't look great in the second half, to say the least, but a lot of penalties on the O-line. I think Alex Mack was flagged for a couple holdings, one that brought back a big run by Manziel. So a very sloppy effort by the Cleveland Browns. And the running game did not look good at all. Crowell 
it, there was just a lot of lot of things going wrong there. But hey, it's Cleveland. We're yeah. used to it. You know the I the Jets might actually have a better season than I thought. Just kind of no. watching them play the, and watching Ryan Fitzpatrick manage that offense, they have some promise. The Jets have some really good wide receivers. They've always had a really good running attack and a solid defense. I mean, this is going to be, I don't think they're a playoff team, but I think they'll flirt with the playoffs. I think they'll kind of be like what Houston was last year. And they're in a division that's not overwhelming. So you can watch out for the Jets. They could be kind of a sleeper. So we'll see. But NFL was not the only thing that was played over the last week or two. College, we've got two weeks of college football to catch up on. A lot of marquee games, but Bob... You can't go wrong when you're picking the Oregon Ducks at Michigan State. Classic game, probably the biggest game of the year so far. Two teams that were you know, a playoff team, a national finalist, you know, the runner-up, versus a team that almost made the playoffs last year, lost to the only two teams that the two teams in the finals last year. That's Michigan State, of course. So huge game with probable playoff implications. And as I predicted in our college football preview, Michigan State operation gets Sparty into the playoffs as a wild card. Is underway by beating Oregon. What did you think of the game? Well, it's not like we debated that Michigan State was going to lose this game. I said they're going to beat Oregon as well. No, no, yeah. Well, where, where we debated is that they also get into the playoffs along with Ohio State. That's where we debated. Yes, that is yet to be determined. But this is this was step one. You're absolutely right. Uh, it was a great game to watch. I, I thought it was really exciting. I can't stop thinking about the third down throw Vernon Adams overthrew at the end it's that where he had that wide receiver wide open. He just threw it too far. That has to be nagging on any fan of the Oregon Ducks on the entire team, especially on Adams. That, that would have been the game right there. And for it to be, for him to be wide open like that, I, I can't stop thinking about it. Um, for Vernon Adams to this is Vernon Adams first FBS opponent that he's faced on an FBS team he did it on the road against uh, the number five team in the nation I thought he looked a lot better than I thought he would I mean that's a lot to expect of a guy who's only been on an FBS program for two months at this point yeah and let's just be real it's on the road, not just a top five team, but a top five team whose defense is usually its calling card. So it's not exactly a walk in the park here. And let's forget his week one FCS opponent isn't your typical opponent. It's the school he just transferred from, Eastern Washington. So a lot of emotions in that game too. Like The kid played in his second ever FBS game. I don't care what he did in FCS. He was a great player in FCS. He's in a whole nother league right now. Different game, very tough opponent on the road. I think if if Oregon had won that game, it legitimately, I mean, it really would have been an upset. They were the lower-ranked team. They were on the road. It certainly would have been an upset in every way, way, shape, or form. Michigan State returned all the experience from last year. They have a quarterback who could go top 10 in the draft. They have one of the best coaches in the nation. This is the year that this program has been building for, and so... To come away disappointed with Vernon Adams, I think, would be a little bit of an overstatement. He did look solid, but he looked young. Second ever game in FBS. So, first game, as you mentioned, against an FBS opponent. So, again, I think he'll be fine. He certainly had showed a lot of talent, but 
this was Michigan State's. I mean, the, Michigan State has been building so long for this moment. They've always been in the shadow of Ohio State, Michigan, and even Penn State in the Big Ten. So this was a chance for them to prove to the nation that they belong on that playoff stage. And by beating the team in Oregon, who has been so consistent, so strong for so long, it's a definitely a big step for the program. And now they just have to build toward that huge game in Columbus, what, like 10 weeks from now? Yeah, it's a it's a very long time to kind of stay, to tread water, to not get up for a game. Uh this is the valley that that you that you experience in in, mo- in most conferences in college football. You, you 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 poke your head out in a big marquee match. If you win, you kind of disappear for a little bit, and you hope you don't slip up. So, I think that Michigan State and Ohio State will both be undefeated when they meet. But it's a long season, and and anything can happen, as we've seen with uh, quite a few upsets that happened the past two weeks of college football. Certainly, especially in conference play when Michigan State and Ohio State are going to be carrying a huge bullseye on their back, especially Ohio State being the national champs and just generally the team everyone in the Big Ten likes to hate on. So Ohio State's used to having that. Michigan State, they're used to being the hunter, used to being the underdog, the scrappy team. Let's see how they they handle being the front runner because teams are going to come gunning for them. They know they can make their season off of them. It'll be interesting. I certainly would be surprised if that's not an undefeated showdown in November. But at the same time, I also really wouldn't be that surprised if one of those two teams stumbled along the way. Yeah, definitely. So there were a lot of good primetime games that night. Uh, Did you have a chance to watch Oklahoma versus Tennessee? I did, and it was a very fun game. I watched mostly the second half of it because I I was waiting for the Michigan State game to kick off and... That game was crazy. There were a lot of really intense moments for Oklahoma in that comeback. I think they converted a couple fourth downs on that drive. An awesome game. In every sense of the word, an awesome game. Yeah, it was one of those, you know, Tennessee ran out to a 17-0 lead in about a quarter and a half worth of play. And then nothing really happened until the fourth quarter when Baker Mayfield just kind of woke up and was able to finish drives. Did you see that throw and catch that he made he eluded the pocket it was on the last touchdown drive in regular regular time he eluded the pocket ran to his right was falling out of bounds launched it 15 yards downfield to sterling marshall who then caught it with basically every part of his body out of bounds except for his two feet did you see that I did see that play. That was an amazing, amazing I, catch. That has to Marshall be. Marshall took over that game too. He had a big second half. Yeah, Mayfield and Marshall seemed to be every big play in in the second half. Um, you know, o- Oklahoma wasn't getting a lot of of love with TCU and Baylor ranked so highly. Uh, they have the big game on their resume now, and they are also going into a lull in their schedule until they play Baylor and TCU late in the season back to back. So. Uh, they could be a team that's coming and with that with that attention Mayfield might have had his first marquee Heisman game oh certainly certainly I I always say it's if it's September it's too early to talk Heisman so he certainly has put himself in the conversation but way too early for all that stuff even though we just did a Heisman preview I understand but the race really starts becoming clear when you hit November 
And I and I wouldn't say Texas get. I mean, that's not Texas. Oklahoma's schedule is a lull when you got Texas on that schedule. That's a huge rivalry. I wouldn't underestimate that. But I understand what you're saying. Not a lot of competition until they get to those two huge games. Baylor might not be as big as people thought because they've struggled a little bit in their opening. I know they won. They ultimately won big, but they struggled with that uh, FCS school last weekend before they pulled away. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's hard to – as long as they win, we kind of just dismiss when a team struggles because it really is hard to discredit a team when they struggle against an FCS team. It's embarrassing for sure, but – you know they got out of that and they're probably going to improve from that so who knows where they'll be at in november when all these big games are happening in the big 12 another team well as long as they win in regulation big if you win in overtime that's a whole different story (laughs) what's the difference um auburn has no business being in overtime with an fcs school i'm sorry oh yeah no i i mean just like a team has no business trailing or being tied late in the late in the regular game i don't really see much of a difference but you're right it's embarrassing it's completely embarrassing for auburn against jacksonville state did you have a chance to watch that i did not know i don't think i was able to watch it I, i'm not sure because like there were a lot of games on it was just one game that i was unable to watch because i was covering high school football on saturday afternoon as well but yeah, I mean, if you're Auburn, you certainly deserve a hit in the polls for struggling like that. I mean, you have no business being in overtime with an FCS school. The other yeah. one I want to talk about is Brett Bielema. Because I feel like every time he whines about something, something bad happens to his team. Yeah. He did that in the Big Ten, too. He would always poke shots at Ohio State, and then his team would lose. And come on, man. You're going to take a shot at Ohio State, and then you're going to lose to Toledo at home? But it, it wasn't at home, Chris. It was three hours away. Uh, what? Oh no, it was in Toledo. I'm sorry. No, it wasn't. In, it was. It wasn't technically in their home stadium. It was like a three-hour drive away from oh. Arkansas. I think so. It's still. Come on, man. Toledo. Toledo drove to the state of Arkansas. It's at home. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, it, <laughs> that's completely embarrassing to lose to a MAC team. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean. Look, I texted you this. No team, no conference should have 10 teams ranked in the top 25. One of the, Some of those SEC teams are definitely fool's gold. Arkansas is probably really was a really easy pick to identify as that, and they've proven it uh, with their loss to Toledo. They just aren't as good as the upper echelon of the SEC, and they have now embarrassed the whole conference with a loss to a MAC opponent. Yeah, certainly. I mean, you have no business losing to a max school if you play in a Power 5 league, if you're on the upper tier. I mean, some of those teams at the bottom of Power 5 leagues, let's just be realistic, they're not that good. Every Power 5 league has a couple bad teams in it. Big Ten, Indiana, SEC, sorry to say it, Bob, but it is Vanderbilt. And, I mean, certainly there are some bad teams, but for the most part, you should handle your business against the teams you should beat. I will say, though, I was impressed with Tennessee against Oklahoma. Even though they lost at home, I was still impressed with them. I think they have the talent to win that SEC East. They, they're, they're, they've sold me on that. I didn't say that in the preseason, but they've sold me on that a little bit. If I'm a Georgia fan who I think was kind of anointed the favorite in the SEC East, and for good reason, they're the highest-rated team in the division. I believe they're top 10 at number 7, I believe. So 
If I'm tell the if I'm Georgia though, I'm a little worried about facing Tennessee having to win that division through them. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they have to go to Tennessee and play that game there. So yeah, it's definitely concerning. Um Tennessee's definitely talented. Uh if they had won this game against Oklahoma, they would have definitely elevated their status, but they're coming. I think most people agree that they are one more year away and they'll be really good. Uh but they, they are very talented this year, and the SEC East has always been wide open, and with Missouri struggling and with Georgia without a quarterback, it's definitely a, a wide-open race. Well, the Big Ten had a lot of non-conference tests, and they kind of went the way we expected, um, maybe except for Nebraska losing to BYU, but Wisconsin losing to Alabama, Minnesota losing to TCU. Obviously, you're facing two teams in the top three. You're not expected to win those games. Ohio State and Michigan State taking care of their business. But one team that overachieved and has continued to is Northwestern. What did you think of them knocking off Stanford in week one? That was kind of a shocker. It it definitely shocked me. That being said, Stanford is a very... um non-explosive team and for them to go across the country week one and, and and play a team that you know Northwestern has had good years they've been a little bit down the last two years so it was very surprising it was a low scoring game a defensive game I think that played into both their strengths um it it uh it's not all that surprising to me though that Stanford lost an early game though no it's like Stanford is like a Big Ten team playing in the Pac-12. I mean, they really have have a gritty kind of style of football, especially now that Harbaugh in the post-Harbaugh era. So it doesn't. It's not like a super shocker, but it is still kind of a surprise because Northwestern, you're right, has had some really good seasons over the last couple of years. But everyone just looks at Northwestern and said, "Yeah, but it's Northwestern." You know, I, I just feel like they always get disrespected because of their name, and. It's good for the Big Ten to have another school step up and beat a team that was rated very highly. Stanford, a a big-name team over the last few years, a team that had been in contention over the last few years. So it's a big win for them. I certainly think Northwestern overachieved and and beat a team that they probably shouldn't have. But, hey, kudos to them for sort of picking up the flag and, and maybe putting themselves in the conversation to get to the Big Ten championship game. Yeah, it'll be interesting. You failed to mention Penn State losing the Temple. I did, but I mean, yeah, Penn State's Penn State. What? Hey, first off, Penn State has been down the last couple of years. That is true. Secondly, Temple has been picked by some <laughs> to win the American. No, people did pick Temple to win the American. Uh, but but Penn State is probably the sixth best team in the Big Ten. The sixth best team in a fourteen-team conference. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, beating the sixth best team in the Big Ten if you're a favorite to win the American. I don't know. I don't think that that's that huge of an upset. I thought it was a pretty big deal losing. I mean, by name, yes, but if you look at where the t- programs are now, I mean, Penn State is not what it was before the Sandusky thing. It still hasn't recovered from that. I don't. I, I don't know if Penn State's even the sixth best team in the Big Ten right now. Yeah, it's kind of hard to rank the middle for sure. I just right, wanted because I would, off the top of my head, I got Nebraska, Wisconsin, Northwestern, Ohio State, and Michigan State clearly ahead of them. And you could sell me that Michigan's ahead of them with the way they beat Oregon State at home, even though they struggled in their first game against 
Utah. Man, those are two tough opponents right off the bat for Michigan. Kudos to them for scheduling up a little bit. But I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, at best, I think they're middle of the Big Ten. I don't think they're that good of a team, to be honest with you. Yeah, they're not that good. But one team that I do like that I have enjoyed watching is BYU. Just oh, with yeah. the way that they've won uh, the Hail Mary against Nebraska, which was a legit Hail Mary. It was a game-winning throw. And then that long bomb with just a few seconds left against Boise State, knocking off a ranked opponent. Uh, is this a team of destiny, Chris? Hey, man, they're a religious school. <laughs> they certainly have someone on their side. So they have been, uh, you know, I don't want to say fortunate because they made the plays, but they certainly converted some low percentage plays to uh, get to 2-0. and If they knock off UCLA this week, watch out because they've got the schedule that could put them in a New Year's Six Bowl it's a tough schedule, but I certainly think that if they beat UCLA this week, they are in the driver's seat to finish in the top ten. Yeah, definitely. I think this will be this will be the deciding game as to whether they're legit or not. Uh, if they beat UCLA, they definitely deserve to be a top ten team until until they start losing some games. You know, to lose some people had that BYU quarterback uh, on some Heisman list, and to lose him and for that Magnum kid to come in and essentially throw two Hail Marys in two games it's a that's a really cool story and I am cheering for them when they take on UCLA for sure dear big 12 add BYU and Cincinnati just get it over with it makes too much sense yeah big 12 needs to do something about their lack of teams hey and also I like the Mountain West Conference I think it's a very good conference for not being power five Boise State plays some decent teams in there, but get Boise State into a power school conference too, and then we're all set. Right. Yeah. Maybe the Big 12 will add all three of them and then just find like San Diego State or something, go to 14. That's the cool thing right now, isn't it? Going to 14? I don't know. Yeah, that's what everybody wants right now. 14 is also, not to sidetrack this thing, but 14 is an odd number. Yeah. I feel like Seven you should either be yeah, you should be at 12 or 16, but 14 is just an odd number. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't work too well, but it's what teams are going or conferences are going for, so. Yeah, they're cashing in those checks, but all right, we've packed this thing full of football. We have to mention one other non-football thing before we close out here. How about those Texas Rangers, man? They are now in control of the American League West. And when we did our trade deadline recap, the two of us both kind of scratched our heads at the Cole Hamels trade. Bob, man, you gotta get we gotta give Texas some props for believing in itself, saying we're buyers, and then following through with a strong second half. Definitely. I mean, it worked out for them for sure. I'm not sure if that's what they intended. I thought that they were just grabbing Cole Hamels for next year. But if you're winning, you can definitely say, hey, look at me. I did a really cool thing. So uh, kudos to them. Uh, they are playing Houston tonight, so they might lose the AL West control again. But they are right there in the thick of it. So, yeah, definitely a good surprise team entering the postseason chase late. Uh, there's a lot of more baseball playoff races to talk about. And hopefully we'll get to that soon on this podcast. Yeah, man, we've been doing a lot of football the last seven weeks. So I think certainly next week it's going to be time to switch gears a little bit here 
and get back to some of the other sports, especially baseball with its uh, playoff race entering the home stretch. It's a very exciting month for a lot of sports. You have college football kicking off, NFL kicking off, baseball getting exciting. So September is one of my favorite months for sports. But unfortunately, we do not have enough time to get to baseball today. But thank you for listening to our football recap podcast. We certainly will be back next week with another episode of What Are You Talking About? presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. Please follow us on Twitter, FenleyRDSports. Follow us on Instagram, FenleyRoadSports. And come back to our website, FenleyRoadSports.com, for more updates, more podcasts, all that fun stuff. And thank you again for your continued support, and we'll get back to you next week. All right, I'll talk to you soon, Chris. All right, take care, Bob.